quite a testimony about how the Lord has been working in his life and um, just to bring him to where he is today. And we praise the Lord for answered prayer in John's life and uh, how God has brought him uh, pretty good ways uh, since five years ago. And so you guys plan on coming and be a part of that uh, in June. Um, I want you to take your Bibles and uh, open to Ephesians in the third chapter. We want to read from Ephesians um, as we continue our reading together. And I want to back up and read from chapter 3, verse 14 through chapter 4, verse 6. So if you can stand when you get there, uh, we'll read that together. Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, and to him be glory be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. The bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. May the Lord bless uh, the reading of his word uh, today. And as we think through that, I just love verses 20 and 21. It's all about the glory of the Lord. And to Him be glory in the church. And so we ought to have in our minds, as if we belong to Christ, that you know, just as John was talking about his life and all the glory belonging to the Lord about what's going on in his life, you know, all the glory belongs to the Lord. And you know, that begins at salvation. So for all of us, we have to think about, hey, when, when was that day? When was the day that... I came to know Christ. And um, so I want you to just think about your life, and I'll think about my life, and maybe the Lord will put on our minds and our hearts more that all the glory belongs to him. It's all about Jesus Christ. So let's bow and let's pray together. Well, Lord, we're here for a time together. How precious it is that we have this time a lot of things going on in our world over the past year or so, and um, it's just great to be able to be together. And I pray, Lord, that 
that you would help us not to take for granted this time. That we've come this morning with an intention to worship you. Indeed, you're the only one that's worthy of worship. And there are many elements of worship. Part of that is prayer. Part of that is singing songs of praise to you. And part of that is opening your word and learning from what you have given to us. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that in all these elements, as, as we have times of prayer, um, as we have times of singing, as we have time in the word today, that, that Father, you would be honored and you would be glorified. And I pray that our minds and our hearts are ready for that this morning. And if, there's, if there are any distractions just before we start, Lord, I, I pray that you would just put those things uh, to the side for us so that we can focus all of our attention on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it's in his name we pray all of this. Amen. Well, good morning. Are y'all ready to come to worship this morning? I don't believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Are you here to worship this morning? I tell you, don't we look good? Don't we look good, guys? I mean, I think, I think they look good, all right? It's been about a year and a half since we've been together. And let me tell you, they are excited. I'm excited. I hope you're excited to be here today. Let's, uh, let the peoples praise him. Let's sing, let's sing together, baby.
great things that he's done in creation, but what he's done in our life, he has actually come in and saved us, saved us from the penalty that's due every one of us. I want you to listen to the song. You can be seated. But I want you to sing along. You know this song. You know it. I want you to sing along. It may get a little bit high at the end, but I want you to sing it because it means a lot to us. And the choir is excited about it. I hope you're excited too. You're singing Jesus Saves.
Oh, Father in heaven, we just thank you this morning. We thank you so much that we can come together to worship a great and mighty God, a God who gets all the glory and honor that we can give you. Lord, and it may not be much, but it's all we have. And Lord, we just thank you that we can come together and sing your praises and we can worship you, such a mighty God. And the fact that you sent your only son to come and save us, save us from the penalty of hell that we all deserve. But Lord, you took it upon yourself to save us. Lord, I just want to thank you and praise you. And Lord, as we gather together this morning in worship and praise that we would just honor you and glorify you. And as we leave today, Father, that you would be satisfied with our worship, that you would be pleased with our hearts of obedience to you to come together. And, Lord, we just thank you and praise you. And, Father, we pray all this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Ron and choir. Several years ago, a man that I would say everyone in this room probably is familiar with, even the young people have probably heard his name, made this statement, I am not a role model. I'm not paid to be a role model. I'm paid to wreak havoc on the basketball court. Parents should be role models. No one disagrees with that part. Just because I dunk a basketball, that doesn't mean I should raise your kids. You know who said that? Charles Barkley. Like it or not, here's the reality. What he has said in his life and what he has done in his life has been for a good bit of the world to witness. Is that a true statement? It's a true statement. Charles Barkley has been and still is in the limelight in a lot of ways. He is seen and he is heard. You can't help but hear the guy because he's going to talk. He didn't like the fact that in that Nike commercial... It was going to be about being seen and being heard. But the reality is this. Just as he was seen and heard and continues to be seen and heard, while the platform is much smaller, all of us in this room are seen and heard. And in our culture... Take that to a different level because there are so many ways in which people can see our lives on display. They see and they hear. When you write something and put it on Facebook, you're known. That's why I always encourage you, be very careful what you write 
Because when you click that button, it's out there. Be careful what you text. We live in a world where social media is just out of control in a lot of ways. And I don't know that we realize that everyone out there is watching and everyone out there is listening to what's being said. It's something that makes us uncomfortable when we come to consider it truly. To think that everyone is watching, that there's not a moment that you have that's your own. You know, if you're a parent, your children are always watching and always listening. And when you think they are not listening to you, guess what? They are. How many times have you thought, my child never heard that or never saw that, only to be reminded that they heard and saw I want to talk about the subject this morning of mentoring. Because the Apostle Paul talks about it as it related to his life and the life of Timothy. Um, Here's the question for you to consider this morning. What are people hearing and what are people seeing in your life? You ready to go home now? (laughs) That's just way way too heavy, too much to think about. What are people hearing? What are people seeing? It's important. I mean, you have an expectation for me, correct? You do. You expect a pastor to behave like a pastor. Right? We need to think beyond just those people who lead us. We need to think as a whole that every single one of us have lives that are on display for people to see. And sometimes, as we know, that's not pretty, is it? How many times have you wished you could take back a word, a word, or a sentence... Or wished you had not have liked something on Facebook. I'll be honest, I don't think there's a whole lot of thinking going on when it comes to people looking at our lives. But I hope that there's one thing that you leave with today is that you'll consider this very strongly that there are people always watching you and always listening to you. How many times have you said something and you were in a right spirit about it, but the person that you're communicating to heard it in the wrong way? Happens? Happens. You see, our lives are on display. And people are watching. And I want us to think about this particular issue um, this morning as we consider what Paul says uh, to us in this text, which we will get to. There are examples of mentoring in Scripture. You have your notes in front of you. You can see them. Nobody hardly ever talks about Jethro, right? But was he an important figure in the life of Moses? Absolutely. You know, Moses is the leader, and he's going to solve all the problems, and Jethro's like, hey, let's take a time out and look at this. 
Moses, we know, mentored Joshua, who would eventually lead God's people. Um, the letter of Ruth pictures Naomi as a mentor to Ruth. Ruth helped her to understand the laws and customs of the Israelites. Obviously, we have the Lord Jesus, and he himself said to his disciples, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. You ever considered that statement and how he said that? I will make you become. What comes to your mind when you think about that phrase, I will make you become? One word comes to my mind, process. Process. It's a process. I will make you become fishers of men. And then Paul, obviously he was a mentor to several, but to the Corinthian church, he said this, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. And that word there is the word mimic. That's a pretty strong statement when you think about it. Have you ever said to anyone, mimic me as I mimic Christ? That ever come out of your mouth? That's a pretty strong statement, wouldn't we say? Mimic me as I mimic Christ. So what's the assumption in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that he is what? Mimicking Christ. Perfectly? No. He was not a perfect man. But his aim and his goal in his life was to bring glory to the Lord. And that ought to be the same aim and goal that we have in our lives. I want us to read the text. Look with me. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. Let's read the text. Look what Paul says. Now you followed. He's talking to Timothy. You followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. You're like, where, what's he talking about? Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. If you go back to Acts chapters 13 and 14, you see some of the suffering, the persecution that the apostle went through. Let's pray, ask the Lord to help us with this. Lord, um, ultimately, all of us who belong to you should say that we are following you because you are the perfect example. But Lord, you expect us to be examples ourselves. And you expect that each of us that belong to you would come to understand that people indeed are watching us. And we're watching people. Help us to be wise, Lord, in, in how we live. Help us to be examples of men and women and boys and girls who are trusting completely in you. And who people can look at and say, hey, look, something's going on in their life that's different. Please help us this morning as we study in Christ's name. 
Amen. I divided this up into three different points for you to consider. The first is a life shadowed. Notice he says, now you followed. Now what's he doing here? He's drawing a contrast. The first nine verses, he's talking about the last days and men in the last days. And he gives us a description of these men. But then when you come to verse 10, what does he do? He's like, these are men in the last days, but now you followed. In other words, here's the characteristic of men in the last days, but you followed my life, and this is what I've been and what I am. There's a strong contrast between the men that Paul describes here in verses 1 through 9 and then his own life. So you have to stop there because that word now is a very strong word. It's a contrasting word. These men in the last days are like this. Timothy, I'm like this. And he says, now you followed. The word followed is in the perfect tense. I gave you that note because it might mean something for you later today. Meaning, he's telling Timothy this, you began to follow at a certain point and you continue to do so. I want you to think about that in the life of a family. Children begin to follow their parents at a young age. And they continue to follow their parents and are primarily influenced by their parents and we could be even put in brackets and grandparents up to a certain age and then they go dead from the neck up and they start being influenced more by who their peers so if you are about to have teenagers at least you'll know that At some point, there's a transition that happens in the life of a family. You begin to wonder why your children don't want your advice or don't want your wisdom. And it's because other people have entered. You think about what Paul's saying here to Timothy. It's pretty strong. He's saying, look, at some point in time, which was uh, officially the beginning of the second missionary journey, Timothy began to follow Paul. But obviously he knew who he was before chapter 16 of the book of Acts. That's why he makes reference to Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Timothy would have been familiar with what Paul was doing. So, I got to thinking about this issue of mentoring, and there's two questions that I want you to consider as we go along in this study. Who is following you? You need to make a list, right? Make a list for all kinds of stuff. Wives, don't you give your husbands a honey-do list, right? I want you to do this, and you make a list. You make a list, maybe if you go to the grocery store because you need the discipline to stick to that list, Right? Because the Oreos are coming up and you're like, mm, I like those things. You want to put them in the bag? Make a list. 
who is following you. Even if you expect it, right? Now, for parents, this will be easy. Your children are following you. Right? Grandparents, your grandchildren, they're following you. Who in the body of Christ, outside of your family, is following you? You know the temptation would be? Oh, there aren't that many people following me. <laughs> Not true. Did you remember what I mentioned a few minutes ago about social media? How many of you have social media accounts? Come on, put your hands up. Twitter, Facebook. How many friends you have? You know, there is a little section there that says friends. All right? I've been uh, lately, my 40th high school reunion will be next year. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go back and kind of look and see what some of these people look like. Man. It's rough, isn't it, as you get older? But one of the categories uh, on their accounts, uh, there's a little icon you can click called friends. And, and there's a guy that I was looking up, kind of wanting to know what he was doing. And uh, his name's Ran Ragusa. And he didn't go to my school, but we hung out together. He went to another school. I'm like, I wonder who Rand's friends with. Oh, my goodness. Even though we didn't go to the same school, but we hung out together, there's a lot of people on there that I know. And I clicked a couple of them just to see. And, wow, you can figure out a lot about people. You know that, right? You already know that. You're like, Thad, you're just now catching up. No, I've known that. But my point is this. People are watching and in a very brief second, they can find out a lot about your life, right? By the pictures that you put up and by the words that you say. Who is following you and who are you following? Who are you following? And let's think about that in terms of spiritual walk, right? Who are you following? Who are you looking up to spiritually? Um, who's following you? Who's looking up to you spiritually? There are three thoughts that I had about this. And I'm kind of probably giving you a lot of application before we get to the meat of the text. But that's just the way it worked out. That's the way the Lord led. Three thoughts. Number one, there needs to be a sense of real urgency to mentor young people. There needs to be a sense of tremendous urgency on the part of the church to mentor young people. Now, I put something here that's just my thought, um, and I was just thinking through this and praying through it. I'm like, this is what I see. There is more peer-to-peer -peer mentoring with young people today within the walls of the church than maybe ever before. Do you agree with that or disagree? Right? Think about it. You can have all afternoon while you're eating the food, food trucks, whatever you're going to eat. And why, listen, I just think that's going on a lot. I don't think there's a lot of looking up to older, more mature believers today. I just don't think that's going on a lot. I think you see a lot of peer-to-peer. -peer. Now, nothing wrong with having peer-to-peer -peer relationships, but there needs to be in the mind of a young person, hey, these people I look up to spiritually. See, I made that list for me of the people that I followed in my life the people that made an influence in my life. And I have a list of men. There's ten men right off the bat I can name. 
men who influenced my life, and all but two are still on this planet. Two are with the Lord. Who is it, right, that is influencing your life? Um, I just think there needs to be a real sense of urgency to mentor young people. Second thing, the talking needs to stop and doing life together needs to start. You know, we, how long has the church been talking about stuff like this? Hey, we need to mentor people. We need to get involved in people's lives. And Yeah, it sounds like a good idea. We just had a meeting of 20 people, and we decided getting involved in the lives of people is a good thing. Great meeting. Shut the door, go home, and don't talk about it for another six months. And then go back and have another meeting to decide, hey, it's a good idea to get involved in the lives of other people. So what I say to the church is, let's stop talking, let's start doing. <laughs> Which is going to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable. The older you get, just being comfortable is hard to find a position of comfort, isn't it? You're going to be uncomfortable when you get involved in the lives of others, but I just think it's so critical. It's obviously biblical. There's many examples. Thirdly, doing life together means authenticity and sacrifice. Hey, guys, people just want genuine, want real, honest, you know, honesty. Being out front about issues that are troubling you. Um, if you're going to do life together with people, it's going to be sac- there's going to be sacrifice required because it's going to involve time. Have an idea. Adopt a family. Now you can adopt one person. That's good. An older woman adopting a younger woman, an older man adopting a younger man. But I just put this as well. Adopt a family. Hey, we want to be involved in your life. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? If we had families, adopting families in this family? Because there's all kinds of issues that young families go through with their children and their teens. And they need wisdom. They need people who have gone down that road. So an idea that I have for us as a body is adopt family. Well, let's look at the text and see what Paul says about his own life. Now, one of the things that we need to do just by way of a just practical application is as we're looking at these different things um, as it relates to Paul's life that he was able to point to about himself... We need to think about those things in our lives, okay? So that's just a given. In this particular text, I think what we see is a contrast here between self-centered swindlers, verses 1 through 9, versus Christ-centered servant in Paul. Self-centered, that certainly describes our culture. Self-centered should not describe the church. It should not describe the life of an individual believer. How many of you admit that it's hard not to be self-centered? 
Anybody besides me? It's hard. Because the most important person in my life, when I look at him in the mirror every day, is me. So what Paul is saying here is quite dramatic. He is illustrating for us a Christ-centered life. Isn't that what you want? Is that what you want? You want your life to be Christ-centered? I think it's a good question to, to think about. I'm not so certain we don't just live in a pretty religious culture today. In some churches. Where religion is emphasized more than relationship. I mean, one of the things that the Lord has been teaching me on a personal level is I need to say and be able to say, like Paul said, to live as Christ. To live as Christ. Now, that's a very short statement, but a very powerful statement. To live is Christ. That means this. If Christ is the center of my life, then in everything that I do in my life, he is in the center. Whether it's hanging out with my family, whether it's going to my job, whether it's going to school, see? So Paul, in essence, is saying, look, these guys, they're self-centered. I'm Christ-centered. And he proves that through the things that he says. Notice what he says. Verse 10, you followed, Timothy, my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. Now, the reason I put the, the uh, pronoun my there is because in the original language, that's how it reads. He doesn't just say, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith. It's translated in the Greek, there's an article in front of every one of those words, meaning this. Timothy, you followed my teaching, my conduct. So the emphasis is on him. It makes it even stronger. It's like, whoa. Hey, Timothy, you followed my teaching. You followed my conduct. You followed my faith. Right? You get it? It's more than this, this list of nine things. It's my, 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 right in front of every one of those. He begins with teaching. He says to Timothy, you followed my teaching. You know what the standard was for the Apostle Paul? Simply said, sound doctrine. What's your standard? Sound doctrine important to you? He said, well, that's for the pastor and the elders. Hmm. That's for every believer. You know, the temptation, the great temptation of people when it comes to the Word of God is to gloss over the hard things. We can't gloss over the hard things. We don't have permission to do that. My observation today, as it relates to sound doctrine, is that there's a lot of compromise that's going on. I don't know how strong churches are in terms of their doctrine. I can only observe and hear. I can tell you about grace. We're going to stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. 
And in our culture, that's not going to sound too good. Because the way that we teach is we take God's word and we study it and we pull out what it says and we say, this is what it says, this is what it means, this is what it means for my life. A lot of people do this. Let me find a verse to support what I'm doing. Let me find a verse to support what I believe. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 1, retain the standard. So the standard is sound words, <laughs> which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Sound doctrine. You know, doctrine is not even a, it's a, really not a popular word at all. I mean, people don't want to talk about doctrine. That's boring. Well, let me, can I tell you something real simple? If you don't understand who God is, then you're not going to understand what he wants for your life. Because if you just take this really simple truth from Scripture, when we see the Scriptures, it says God is what? He's holy, holy, holy. Now, if you went around and did a survey of what man thought about God, are you going to get that answer a lot of times? Probably not. So what does it mean then in my life if I look at this doctrine and I say, okay, the Scriptures say God is holy, 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 then that leads to what? An understanding of what God wants for my life. Well, God really doesn't care about that kind of stuff. Yeah, he does. Peter says what? Be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Why? Because the Lord is holy. Holy, holy. Teaching, doctrine does matter. I remember years ago when I was putting together on paper kind of if I was going to start a church, kind of how that would look. And I remember thinking at the time, I wonder how important doctrine is going to be 20, 25 years from now. I've got my answer. You take an issue like, who is the head of the home according to the word? According to the word, who's the head of the home? Don't make me nervous. <laughs> Who's the head of the home? Now, listen. The husband is. How does that resonate with people in our culture today? It's tough. He says, you followed my teaching, you followed my conduct. This is an issue of behavior. How one behaves. Um, in our culture today, that's a challenge, I think, as it always has been, to be consistent. Like, you have a call in your life, and then you have your life that's lived. We were called, we were set apart to the Lord 
are we living like we're set apart to the Lord? Paul's testimony is, hey, I, I have been and I continue to be set apart to the Lord. C.S. Lewis says, when we Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. Do Christians behave badly? All of us have behaved badly at times. Can I say that out loud? I guess I just said it, didn't I? There have been times in my life when my behavior has not glorified the Lord. That's the truth. There have been times in my life where my mouth has not glorified the Lord. These are hard things. I mean, I think they're important, but they're hard. He says, you followed... Timothy, my teaching, you followed my conduct. Then he said, you followed my purpose. This is an interesting uh, word. I have there for you in your notes. This refers to a set plan which is on display. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? The purpose... I think we read this morning in chapter 3 of Ephesians that we are to glorify the Lord as a church. That means as individuals, as members of the body of Christ, I am to glorify the Lord in everything. In essence, Paul's saying, your life, my life is on display. It is known. This word was used to refer to the showbread which was set before the Lord in the temple. I thought that was really interesting. Paul is saying, my life was set before the Lord to be used for his glory. Let me ask you a question. Was there a major transformation in the life of Paul? Yeah. Like, huge. Huge transformation. On the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus reveals himself to Paul. His life is changed. And he's told how much he would suffer for the sake of the gospel of Christ. He was committed to the gospel. It was his life. He wanted to spread the good news of Christ to others. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So the question I have, are we all on board? Who took the time to sit down with you and explain the gospel? Who did that for you? You remember that person? That sat down with you and explained the gospel to you? We have the same calling. We need to spread the gospel of Christ. And we're living in a world today where there's great opportunity to a bunch of people who are scared and confused. 
So I had the question for you, are we all on board? David Jeremiah makes this comment. He says, there is a moral and spiritual war for the souls of Americans going on. <laughs> That's the truth. There is a moral and spiritual war for the souls of Americans. And this war must be waged by preaching the gospel, prayer, and obedience to God's word. Isn't there some other strategy? Isn't there something a little easier? That's kind of hard. So I don't know if the people that I'm in contact with are going to go, yeah, that's really what I want to hear. When you say there's a spiritual battle going on for the lives of your children, parents, there is. For the lives of your grandchildren, they are not growing up in the same world you and I grew up in. They are not. You say, well, yeah, they are. No, they're not. There is an intense pressure on these young people to accept things that the world says are okay. Well, we know it. We know it. We see it. I had a text this last week from a friend of mine. If I can find it. The Lord just brought it to my mind. Here it is. Major Christian denomination elects first openly transgender bishop. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America last week elected Reverend Megan. I don't know how to say his last name. Last week. Serving as bishop for the Sahara Pacific. Young people, listen to me. You're going to be asked to accept things that are counter to God's word. You see, man is on, right? We live in this cancel culture. Man is on, right, the prey to do what? To cancel scripture. I want you to listen to me. People are not just... We're not just talking about transgenders and homosexuals and all that. We're talking about a group of people in our culture today out to cancel the church. Out to cancel this book. So, there's decisions that have to be made. Are we going to stand on the truth of the word of God? Are we going to behave like we belong to the Lord? Are we going to get on board and say, you know what, Lord, we know you're coming soon. We know it. And there needs, there needs to be the sense of urgency, Lord, that we would have as believers in Christ to share the transforming work of the Lord. So he says, you followed my teaching my conduct, my purpose. And then he says, my faith. There are a couple of thoughts about this, but I really think it's just, there's just one that makes a little more sense. Paul is either referencing his daily faith or trust in the Lord, or, is he, or he's referring to living out his faith in daily living. I believe he's 
talking about his daily trusting in the Lord. He's trusting in one who's faithful. He just talked about his conduct. So I believe he's talking here about the one that I'm trusting in. You saw the one, Timothy, that I was trusting in on a regular basis. You saw that as you followed me. This is a tough one. Because wisdom tells us, and we know from the Proverbs, it says, trust in the Lord with what? Trust in the Lord with... Let's say it louder. Trust in the Lord with what? That's a tough one. Lean not on what? That's a hard one, isn't it? In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he'll do what? Direct your paths. That's wisdom literature. The wisdom for the believer is to trust the Lord in all things. That means this, parents, trusting the Lord with your children. So that means. That means trusting the Lord with your job. That means trusting the Lord daily with what he's given you, your finances. Paul's saying, hey, look, Timothy, you followed me. You followed my teaching and my conduct. You followed my purpose. You followed my faith. Chuck Swindoll says this seems to refer to a confidence one would have in a person's reliability. Are you confident in God today? Let me do that again. Are you confident in the Lord? I put some questions there for you to consider. I put a lot of questions there. Trust in the Lord. I'll tell you my my biggest one in my life, since I can't use your life, because <laughs> you didn't give me permission. And one of the ones that the Lord's worked with me over the years through is provision. Just being honest with you. Providing. You know. You ever come to the point in your Christian walk where you knew without a shadow of a doubt, because God's word says it, you, you knew that you needed to give to the Lord, but you opened the checkbook and you said, Ugh. that ever happened to you? Happened to me early on. I was in the ministry in New York sitting there, and I was even teaching a class on giving at some point. And you know what the Lord's doing? He's like, hey, Thad, this is for you. This is for you. I want you to know that you can depend on me. That I'm going to give you everything that you need. And you know what? I look at my life, and I'm going to be 57 in October, and there is not one day in my life that I could look back and go, well, the Lord didn't come through that day. He meets our needs, doesn't he? It's those wants that sometimes get confusing in that. 
Well, if you're, if you're Moses or you're Joshua, right, one of those leaders over the children of Israel, I mean, that whole trusting piece. <laughs> and Lord, look at all these people, you know. He says, you followed my patience. Now, that's the easy one for all of us, right? You followed my patience. This is a reference to being long-suffering with people. This word emphasizes being wronged with a mind not to retaliate. But now, the world's mind is like this. You hit me, I'm hitting you. Right? But that's not the way of a believer. I like what C.H. Spurgeon says. He says, we must continue to put up with others. (laughs) Isn't that great? putting up with you and you're putting up with me we put up with others remembering the lo- the lord's long suffering with us he puts up with us colossians in a context where he's talking about the way that we need to to dress really he says so as those who've been chosen of god holy and beloved Put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. You know what our young people need to see today? All those things worked out in our lives. And we need to be able to share with them. We need to be open and authentic and say, hey, look, I've struggled with that. I have a hard time putting up with people. And I want you to know I've had that. And when I've had that issue come up in my life... I just say, Lord, I need you to help me. Help me to love that person. Because the easy thing to do would be to walk away and just say, I'm not going to deal with that. So I left you a question there. I'll let you answer that one this afternoon. Then he says, you followed my love. My love. Now this is a obviously a term that we talk about a lot but agape love is characterized as sacrificial and unconditional you know those things i like what jonathan edwards said he says love he said love is the badge or emblem of discipleship it is and jesus said it by this all men will know that you are my disciples by your what your love for one another do you love your neighbor If you're going to love sacrificially and unconditionally, you have to get to know people. You have to step out of your comfort zone. Um, Loving others is not easy. This is where that begins, though, and there's just a little hint about that. You want to love others correctly? Learn how much God loves you. Learn how much God loves you. <laughs> so that, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's the only way it's going to happen. Because it, it, it's either going to be, well, I can do this, or I can go to the Scriptures and look at it and go, God so loved me that he gave. So that's the mindset that I need to have as a Christian. Then he says, perseverance. You followed my perseverance. This word emphasizes Enduring amid trying circumstances. 
Did Paul have trying circumstances in his life? Answer, yes. This word refers to being under an immense amount of pressure. When I thought about that, I immediately thought about what Paul says about his own life in 2 Corinthians in the 11th chapter. Just listen to what he says about pressure. He's talking about all these things that he's gone through and endured physically. And then he says this, Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. There's pressure in the ministry. Do you know that? He said, well, Thad, you're in the ministry. I'm not in the ministry. Oh, no, 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 no. I got great news for you. You're in the ministry. If you belong to the Lord, you're in the ministry. And with ministry comes pressure. You know what one of the greatest pressures is in ministry? Performance. I would encourage you that the one that is judging you is the Lord primarily. Give those pressures to Him. I've had a few, few pressures over the last 30 years in ministry. I'll tell you this. No matter what the pressure has been, and there's been a few doozies, no matter what the pressure has been, the Lord has always been with me. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Then he says, you followed not only my perseverance, but my persecutions. I want you to go with me to Acts in the uh, 14th chapter. Acts 14. Look with me. You know what privilege that you and I have? We have the privilege to have a Bible. And to have it in front of us on a Sunday. Isn't that awesome? And to open it up. And to see what we can learn. I want you to notice that when he says, you followed my persecutions, it's plural. It's not singular. There were many persecutions. You know what's interesting in the life of Paul, though? He went from being one who did what? Persecuted to the one who was what? Being persecuted. And in chapter 14, as we follow Paul's track through Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, we come to uh, chapter 14, and I think I even have this on, yeah, 14 verse 19. It says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. And they dragged him out of the city, notice this next phrase, supposing him to be dead. He's really hurt, so much so he's not moving. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and he entered the city. You know what happened? The Lord took care of Paul. That's what happened. Because they leave him outside the city, supposing him to be dead. The man is in rough shape. But in verse 20 it says, while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. <laughs> A miracle took place in the life of Paul that day. The Lord took care of him. And it says here, the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby, And after they had preached the gospel to that city. All right, so they, they're moving away there from Lystra to Derby. And it says, and had made many disciples. They did what? They returned to Lystra 
to, I, to Iconium, and to Antioch. I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're just interviewing Paul, you have to go, dude, you're outside your mind. Do you not remember what happened? Talk about commitment. He had been stoned. He goes back, it says, the Bible says that he, he went back to Lystra, Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. You talk about a selfless person. Through many tribulations, he said, we must enter the kingdom of God. You know, we've been pretty protected here in the United States for a long time. We have to say that. I haven't been locked up yet. There are people that have been around the world. There are people that have been locked up. There are people that have been killed for standing on the gospel of Christ. And ultimately, as Paul's writing this last letter that he writes, he's about to be martyred. So he understood the issue of persecutions. It's interesting, though, when you read the Gospels. I like what John Stott pointed out. He said, how did Jesus expect his disciples to react under persecution? <laughs> he said, rejoice and be glad. We are not to retaliate like an unbeliever nor sulk like a child, nor lick our wound in self-pity like a dog, or just grin and bear it like a stoic, still less we pretend we, en- excuse me, still less we pretend we enjoy it like a masochist. What then? We are to rejoice in the midst of suffering, knowing he never leaves us or forsake us, forsakes us. And you know what? We ought to just have the mentality that it is a privilege to suffer for the cause of Christ. That sound crazy or biblical? Biblical. And what generation will it be where people in the United States are locked up and are martyred for their faith? If the Lord tarries in his coming, I believe it's right around the corner. When you live in a culture that calls wrong right and right wrong, something is going on. And that's the culture we live in. So he says, you followed my perseverance, you followed my persecutions. Then he says, you followed my sufferings. Notice there I put for you that the word sufferings is plural. The word emphasizes hardship and pain. I always like 1 Peter because it's written to a group of believers who were suffering. And Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. We shouldn't be surprised at what's going on in our world today. We should not. It should not we should not be going, I can't believe man's not getting better. We know what's coming. We, better yet said, we know who's coming. The Lord's coming. And notice what Peter writes to him. He says, as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. <laughs> That's a crazy message. That's craziness. So in other words, you've been doing this. Keep on doing it. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That just hits me. It's like, what? Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Because listen to me. 
this is how it works in doctrine. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Saved to his presence. And it may come that we are burned at a stake or that we are shot. May come. Just the reality of it. I like what Tim Keller says. Suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. That's a good statement. Isn't it nice to know that God is for us and with us? To think that, that just this one statement alone, that if you belong to the Lord, you are his child. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So Paul Harvey's, the rest of the story of verse 10 and 11 is the last part. What persecutions I endured, endured. Notice he didn't say what persecutions the Lord took me out of. Hey, the dude was stoned, left for dead. But notice the way he puts it. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord rescued me. Just because we go through suffering in our lives, which comes in different shapes and sizes, it doesn't mean that the Lord is going to deliver us out of that specific suffering, but he will deliver us to the point of this, that we understand that in the midst of the suffering, he's with me. He doesn't leave me. Who needed to hear this? Boy, Timothy did. Because Paul's about to have his head chopped off. You think he needed a little bit of encouragement to carry on, to carry the mantle? Absolutely. Well, this section lives, uh, ends excuse me, with a sobering reality. Notice what it says in verse 12. Paul says, indeed, Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He says, all who what? Desire. This refers to an active decision of the will. So it's a decision you make. We make, in essence, we make this decision every day to live godly. I'm going to live godly today. I'm going to depend on the Spirit of God today. See, because I can't live godly apart from the Spirit. That's something that's not discussed enough. We must have a dependency on the one who lives in us. We must purpose with the help of the Holy Spirit to live lives that are godly. It's interesting that this particular verse 
the present tense, implies that these people continually have a desire to live godly lives. He says, all who desire, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Um, Warren Wiersbe, in describing the word persecution, he writes the following. The Greeks used the term for persecution to describe a hunter eagerly pursuing his prey. In the early church, Paul was the one hunting. After his conversion, he was the one being hunted. You could look at this text and you could go, you know, Paul seems to be pretty arrogant and full of himself. Because, look, he's just basically saying this to Timothy. My life's a display case. You can follow me as you have been. Or we can look at it like this. Which Paul, at the end of the section, at the end of the scriptures in this particular book says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, excuse me, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord The righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also who have loved his appearing. Paul was all about the Lord. It wasn't about him. It was about the Lord as he lived each day. To live as Christ, to die as gain. So whether it was him walking down the road, or whether it's him having his head chopped off, being ushered into the presence of the Lord, it was all about the Lord for the Apostle Paul. It's all about him. So I ask you, who are you following? Who's following you? Let's pray. Lord, the sound of being a mentor, I'm not sure how that, you know, sounds to everyone who's in here whether you're one who needs a mentor, needs that older person in the faith who has been down long roads and needs the wisdom of that person, or if, you know, maybe the person I'm talking to this morning is that mentor, but they've been maybe a little idle and haven't really put forth the um, effort with your help to say, hey, I'm available. I know this, we're losing generations of kids. And I think we're losing a good bit of the generation of kids because we're not willing to get out there and live life and do life with them. And Lord, as I was thinking back this last week, I can name so many men that took the time, like Don Barrett, like Dan Cooley, like Jim Pence, like Brother Burt Morgan, men who said, yes, I'm going to be involved in this young man's life. And then when I got to school, professors who weren't just teaching, but they said, hey, want to be involved in, in this young man's life. 
like Dr. Green, who's with you, like George, like Dr. Hughley, like Dr. Gannett, like Dr. Wex, men who said, hey, look, yeah, there's the teaching aspect of the ministry, but there's also this life lived. Can I just pause, Lord, and thank you for those men? And I thank you that I still have some of those men in my life today. Lord, I don't know that I sense the uh, urgency, but I pray that it's there and that we will take the time to pray about who that person might be or that family might be that we can invest in for your glory and for your honor. Please help us to apply what we've seen in your word today in the name of Christ. Amen. As we close our service this morning, I'd just like to encourage you to take what we've heard from God's Word today and what we've learned, uh, what we've heard, and as was mentioned before, you know, let's, let's not just hear it and not just talk it, but let's just do it. And that's what God would have us to do. Because another point I want to bring out that, that, that Thad brought out, the Lord is coming. He's coming soon. So we need to rise up and be the church that God would have us to be. So the choir is going to encourage you to do something. And right now, I want you to rise up. And we're going to sing Rise Up, O Church. together. Um, is Andrea in the building? Andrea is not in the building. Okay, so there should be food trucks outside.
Yes, I knew that part. I just, I, I just can't see out in the parking lot to know if they're there for sure. But there should be food trucks outside uh, for you to choose from. And if maybe some of you brought your own lunch or whatever, that's fine. But um, then also there's slides, water slides for the kids. I think there's some other things out there for everybody to participate in. I hope you get to stay and uh, fellowship and uh, as we are celebrating today, being together. And so um, uh, I think that's all in terms of announcement. Why don't, why don't I pray and we'll ask the Lord to bless the food. By the way, just one thing about the food trucks, patience. We talked about patience today. Patience. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks so much again for time together and Lord we want to seek better to understand what you want for us and probably a lot of these things are reminders to many of us but I pray you'd use the reminders to get us on the move that we might have a sense of urgency about being involved in the lives of, of people ultimately for your glory I pray Lord this morning that you would um, just bless the food that Hopefully we'll partake of in the next hour or so, and that uh, it would nourish us and that it would help us uh, today to strengthen us. And um, we just ask, Lord, that um, we just have a great time of fellowship and all this, I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.